Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching by our group life pastor, Tim Smith. This weekend, as well as especially tomorrow, Memorial Day, is all about remembering those who have fallen in service of our country and our community. So I am going to ask some of you to do us a favor this morning. If you have ever lost a loved one due to being on the battlefield as military personnel, and we're going to expand this a little, if you've ever lost a loved one as a first responder, a police officer, a firefighter, um, or an EMT, would you stand for us and let us honor them through you? Remain standing for a second. While we applaud you, we also want to pray for you. We know that Memorial Day for some is really hard, and so we want to pray for your encouragement, but we also want to thank you for your loved one's sacrifice and for your sacrifice too, so let's pray. Father, thank you for these that are standing and for those in the first service that did too. We just ask that you would help them to feel our support, but most of all, wrap your loving arms around them and help them to know how much you love them. And Lord, just help them to understand how appreciative we are to be able to stand here this morning in freedom, to be able to worship in this way, much because of what so many have done in paying the ultimate sacrifice. And so we thank you, we praise you, in the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you. I don't know about you, but it was only a couple of years ago that I realized and learned that Memorial Day was actually first called Decorations Day. Pretty simple. It was all about decorating uh, the graves of military members who had fallen and had served our country and provided the ultimate sacrifice for them. It's always been a reminder to honor those who have served in securing our freedom and our safety, and we certainly owe them a lot. But I also would like to say to you that I think every day, and especially on Sunday, is a day to remember the one who voluntarily went to the cross and died so that we could have safety and security, not just as a country, but for all of eternity. You see, it's one thing to suffer because you went into something risking your life for a worthy cause. It's quite another to deliberately know that you are going to die to keep someone else from experiencing it. But that is exactly what Jesus Christ did. Instead of dying by accident, he died and chose deliberately to die and sacrifice himself. Why? So that we might live. Those of you who are marathon runners may recognize the name Rosie Ruiz. In 1980, she won the women's category of the Boston Marathon. Her time of 2 hours, 31 minutes, and 56 seconds was the fastest female time in the history of the race. There's just one problem. She didn't run the whole race. In fact, she only sprinted the last 20 meters. She took a bus for the rest of the trip. 
And all that wasn't found out at the moment, but there were some people, even while she was being rewarded, that were suspicious because no one had seen Rosie during the rest of the race. And finally, a perceptive TV reporter stuck a microphone in her face and said this, ma'am, you are either the fastest woman alive or you're a fraud. And she was the latter. And I thought about that because I believe that same principle can be applied to Jesus. If Jesus is really who he says he is, then he is history's greatest hinge upon which everything else opens and closes. But if he's not, then he's history's greatest hoax. And that makes what we're talking about today probably history's greatest defining moment and thus the most important issue you will ever deal with. So this Memorial Day weekend, I want to set aside a time not just to remember the fallen. We certainly want to do that. But I also want to remember the one who fell on purpose, who deliberately died on our behalf. I want to visit, or for most of us, want to revisit Jesus' death, and I want to see three things. First of all, that Jesus' sacrifice was planned in advance. Second of all, that it was painful, but most importantly, that it was purposeful. So here's our sermon in a sentence or the key thought for today. When we remember the cross consistently, we will realize that Jesus died deliberately. So let's discuss the one who died so that we might live. First of all, I want you to see that Jesus' death was planned. From the very beginning, sin placed a gulf of separation between perfection of God and the sinful man of humanity, between man and God. Started with Adam and Eve. When they sinned, they separated themselves from the holy God, and it's the same is true for us. We are alienated and separated from God by our own doing, by our own sin. And that's why God knew from the very beginning that something, or in this case, someone, would have to come to bridge the gulf between God's perfection and our sinfulness. Now, incredibly, the Bible teaches us that God unfolded his plan of offering his one and only son as Savior even before creation. Listen to Revelation 13.8. It talks about the saved as being in the book of life that belongs to the Lamb who was, catch this, slaughtered before the world was made. Let that sink in for a second. That means that God, even before he made us, knew that we would disobey and sin and knew that he would have to sacrifice his own son to have a relationship with us and he made us anyway. Would you have done that? (laughs) Knowing how I've treated God, would you have gone ahead and made yourself anyway? Well, he made us even knowing beforehand. And that's so incredibly important, so amazing that God knowing we would sin, knowing he would have to save us, made us anyway. And all through the Bible, God's plan to reconcile man to himself through his son is revealed. In fact, the earliest reference is even in the first book of the Bible. It's in Genesis 3.15. There we're told in these verses that through a woman's offspring, that's Jesus, that Satan would be defeated, that although the great serpent Satan would strike or bruise Jesus' heel by getting him on the cross, Jesus would end up crushing Satan's head because by going to the cross, he was able to provide forgiveness for each and every one of us and then resurrected from the grave. But why are we so adamant 
that Jesus' death was planned. How is that a planned event? Well, there's a number of things I probably could talk about, but I believe that it would be helpful to zero in on one that will help us see without question that this plan, this was an event planned in advance, and that's Old Testament prophecies. In fact, recently there has been some discussion in Christianity about the worth or value of the Old Testament to the Christ follower. After all, we're a New Testament or a New Covenant or a New Promise people. But while that's true, it does not mean that the Old Testament scriptures are obsolete or that they should be disregarded. In fact, they are there to help us see Jesus more clearly. Listen to 2 Peter 1.19. He says, we have seen and proved that what the prophets, talking about the Old Testament prophets, said came true. You do well to, catch this, play, pay close attention to everything they have written. For like lights shining into dark corners, their words help us to understand many things. So he says we need to pay close attention, not disregard, close attention to these verses, these prophecies that show us that Jesus' death was determined ahead of time, that it was planned. So I've listed a few in your notes that you can look up later for some more detail, but I just wanted to kind of walk through them for you to see how that hundreds of years before Jesus went to the cross, these were true and predicted what would happen to him. Psalm 41.9, he would be betrayed by a trusted friend. Zechariah 11.13 gives the exact amount of betrayal, 30 pieces of silver. Isaiah 53.12 says he would die with criminals. Psalms 22, 16 to 18, predicted that his hands and feet would be pierced, which was hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented as a method of execution. Isaiah 53, 9 says that Jesus would be buried in a rich man's tomb. And Psalm 16, 10 predicted the resurrection when it says, you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Centuries before the event, Exact details are revealed so that we will know and remember that what happened on Calvary was set up in advance. In fact, that is one of the only reasons that Jesus Christ is worth instilling the hope of our hearts in him, for only he is our Savior. You see, there are other religions and there are other leaders from religions and many of them have died martyrs' death or maybe they've been sacrificed for a few or even died natural death, but only Jesus Christ died deliberately for everyone in the world. In fact, that's why Paul wrote this in Acts 4.12. Jesus is the only one who can save people. His name is the only power in the world that has been given to save anyone. We must be saved through him. All planned through his death. But the second thing that I want you to see is that Jesus' death was not only planned, it was also extremely painful. It's my desire in the next few minutes to help us feel or, or re-feel what Jesus actually went through on the cross. And I gotta tell you, I really... I really racked my brain for some unique way to do this. I really tried to get my creative juices going to try to figure out some novel way maybe to, to remind you of this. And I just had a hard time coming up with something and I got a tad frustrated. But then I remembered an old saying that says, often we don't need new information as much as we need to be reminded of old truths. In fact, maybe that's why when Peter talked about our salvation and what has happened in the past, he wrote this. 
He said, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth. I think it is right to refresh your memory. So I finally decided, you know what? There's probably nothing better we could do than simply walk through the scripture in Matthew 27 that describes Jesus's death. Because I'm convinced that if you look at this passage from Matthew 27 and it doesn't help you get a sense of what Jesus did for you, then maybe nothing will. So as we read this passage together and make comments about it, I hope and pray that you'll see it with fresh eyes, with uncluttered hearts, as to feel what Jesus went through for you. First, he suffered physical pain. Matthew 27, verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. Now, why? Was the cross really that heavy? Well, the cross probably carried some weight, but you got to remember that Jesus had been beaten nearly senseless before he ever took up the cross. It says the Sanhedrin and the temple guard had slapped him around in the face. Herod's soldiers had struck him about the head and spit on him. The Roman soldiers hit him with a staff. And then the Bible says that Pilate had him scourged. Now, a Roman scourging was done with a particular scourging whip called a phlegrum. It was made of leather, usually about nine strands, and it had pieces of bone and metal embedded in the straps. And they would take a prisoner, and they would bend him over a waist-high post so that the skin on his back was really taunt. And then a soldier would come down as hard as he could with that whip 39 times, 40 lashes minus one. A lot of men died just from the scourging. So no wonder Jesus stumbled under the weight of the cross. Some men never got up to pick it up in the first place. And then verse 35. When they had crucified him. It always amazes me that scripture so often understates things rather than exaggerating them. Nails, in terms of Roman crucifixion, were driven in a person's hands. Now, scholars and historians reveal for us that the nails were not driven through hands in the fleshly part of the hand, but were actually driven through the wrist between these two bones. And you might go, well, then why does it say it was driven in his hands? Well, we do that too. You talk about somebody who's handcuffed. Well, they're not handcuffed, really. They're wrist cuffed, right? Well, the same thing here applies. They knew that putting nails through the fleshly part of a person's hand couldn't hold up the weight as the body sagged on the cross, but they could put it through the two bones here that would be strong enough to support the body. And then nails were put into the feet, usually they think into a platform to help support the body. Now, at first you might think, well, okay, at least there's something good about this. At least they could kind of stand up. But in reality, that just helped the victim live longer. Because you see, what happened is that the body would begin to sink from loss of blood and weakness, and you would actually be asphyxiated because you couldn't fill your lungs anymore up with air. So this was far from humane. This was actually enabling them to suffer longer. Crucifixion was one of the most excruciating ways ever developed in history for someone to be executed. Every breath was painful. 
A person would suffocate because you finally, due to loss of blood and to total weakness, just couldn't lift yourself up anymore and you could no longer breathe. In fact, crucifixion was so painful, no Roman citizen could ever be crucified no matter what they had done. It was too undignified. But it was not too undignified for the Son of God. And if physical pain were not enough, Jesus also suffered emotional pain as well. Jesus had been betrayed by Judas, denied by Peter, and abandoned by the rest. And now, while he's on the cross, dying between two thieves, he's surrounded by strangers and enemies. Matthew 27, starting with verse 39, says, Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the son of God. And a lot of those were actually religious leaders. I mean, how evil can you be? Not only do you demand his execution, but now you're actually making fun of him while you're dying. That'd be kind of like a priest or a minister at an electric chair execution saying to the one that's going to be executed, hey, you got any shocking statements you want to say? (laughs) And we'd say, whoa, wait a minute, that is really inappropriate. Well, the same thing is true here. And then in verse 44, it says the robbers also insulted him. But we read in Luke 23, 34, that Jesus prayed over all of them, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But maybe the most difficult pain that Jesus endured was not physical or emotional pain, but spiritual pain. In verse 45, we read this. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all of the land. It got dark in the middle of the day. Somebody said that that may have been God pulling a veil over the earth to signify the darkness of sin that was about to be placed upon his son. And then verse 46, it says, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think it may be almost impossible for us to fully understand what was happening in this moment. Because it was during this time that God was loading all sin onto his son, all the sin of the world. Isaiah 53 wrote, God laid on him the sins of us all. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Jesus made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become righteousness for God. Now, God gathered all sin. Adam and Eve's disobedience to Moses' loss of temper, to Jezebel's immorality, to David's uh, adultery, to Judas's betrayal, to his, Hitler's atrocities, to Tim Smith's selfishness and insensitivity, and laid it all upon Jesus. And there is a moment now that separation actually occurs between Jesus and the Father. For the first time in all of eternity, Jesus becomes guilty of sin. Not his sin our sin, and he's separated by that sin from the Father. No wonder he cries out, God, where did you go? Why have you abandoned me? But when all sin was placed upon him, he could no longer experience a perfect relationship with a holy God. And in that moment, he is alienated for us from the Father. In fact, and some think that in that moment, Jesus experienced hell because whatever hell is, It is certainly the absence of God. 
And then in verse 50, it simply says, he gave up his spirit. It was over. Jesus had suffered physically, emotionally, and spiritually like no one ever before him. And I think this is some of the reason that on that Thursday night, when he was betrayed, before he was arrested, he established for us communion. It's so that we would have a physical reminder that we would remember the cross and we would never, ever forget the love that he demonstrated for us in such a powerful way. So I'm going to ask the servers right now, they're going to be serving us communion, to go ahead and go to the back because this morning I would like us to do just something a little different. As we remember Jesus' physical and emotional and spiritual pain, I want us to do that together. You see, the very thing that alienated Jesus from the cross, the taking on of our sin, is the very thing that pulls us close to him, but also pulls us together. We understand that it's not just my sin, it's all of our sin that placed Jesus on the cross. So I want to pray in just a moment, just a brief prayer so that the servers can come and begin to pass out communion. And here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to take, if you choose to participate, that individual piece of bread and that individual cup and then pass the tray on and hold those elements instead of eating them right away. Because what I'd like to do is once everyone has been able to be served, then I want us to go back to that Thursday night and I want us to hear the words of Jesus and to be able to actually take that in unison, to take those elements together, reminding us that what he did on the cross not only brought us closer to him, but brings us closer to each other. Let's pray. Lord, in just this moment, we're gonna remember what we've just talked about, that you would do this for me is almost beyond my comprehension. And yet as we take these elements, Lord, draw us closer to you, but also draw us close together as we remember your words and as we eat together in just a moment. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. The disciples are gathered around to celebrate the Passover, which is so interesting because it's the Passover that reminded them that they slayed a lamb and put blood over their doorposts so that death would pass over. And Jesus uses this now to become the Passover lamb the lamb that would sacrifice for all. And so on this night when he's betrayed, right before he knows he's going to be arrested, he takes bread and he says to them, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. And then he took a cup and he said to his disciples and to us so many years in the future, this cup is the new covenant, the new promise between God and his people. In an agreement confirmed with my very blood, do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Lord Jesus, we cannot begin to express 
our thankfulness for what you have done for us and to know that on that night you made sure we had something like this to remember that you were going to the cross deliberately. We thank you, we praise you, and may each time we eat and drink, may we remember that you did this and demonstrated love that's almost beyond imagination for each and every one of us. We thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, so what does all this mean for us today? What's the application? Well, I think it's pretty simple, but it's also very profound. Because of our sin, Jesus' death was purposeful. You see, our sin put Jesus on the cross. So we must crucify ego and turn our sinful lives over to a sinless Savior. The Apostle Paul wrote what each and every one of us, I believe, could say. In 1 Timothy 1.15, he said, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. So let's talk, as we close, about the fact that Jesus' death served at least two primary purposes. First of all, he deliberately died to save us from our sin. Jesus Christ came to save us from eternal death, from separation forever from God. Our sin had separated us from a perfect and holy God. God's perfect, he's holy, he has no sin, he cannot abide by sin, can't even look at sin, which is why when Jesus took on all our sin, the father had to turn his back on his son. And no one likes to be separated from the things they truly value. But our sin has created at least three separations from God. Now, Jesus is our bridge that spans those separations and makes it possible for us to have peace with God here and now. But I think it's important to understand what our sin has done in terms of those separations to cause Jesus to go to the cross. First of all, our sin created a psychological separation. Never before sin was there any guilt or any shame, but now we have that because of sin. But Jesus offers peace and purpose and forgiveness because of what he has done for us. Sin also separates us spiritually from God. Remember, God as a perfect being cannot have fellowship with sinners. But here is the most amazing thing to me. The Bible teaches again and again that when we receive Jesus as our Savior, when we have a relationship with Jesus, God no longer sees our sin, but he sees Jesus' perfection. Listen to Romans 3, starting with verse 21. God has made a way for people to be right with him, to be able to be in relationship with him. God makes people right with him through their what? their trust in Jesus. It is because of Jesus, it is only because of Jesus that we can now have a close fellowship and relationship with God. But then the final bridge is the most important, and that is that sin also created physical separation because again and again and again, the punishment for sin is death. In fact, some say Satan's strongest weapon is the reality of death. Is there any one of us here who hasn't felt sting from its blow? 
But when you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you have a relationship with him and are a partnership with him, because he conquered death, you can conquer death too. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? How we thank God who gives us the victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, those who accept Christ as their personal and Savior, Lord, may have to experience separation from this life, but they never have to expect separation from eternity. They never have to expect separation from God. No more separation. <laughs> all because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And I would say to you with all of my being, if you have never come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to consider that today as one of the greatest defining moments of your life because it is only then that you have the promise that you will not be separated from God, but that when God looks at you because of your relationship with Jesus, he sees Jesus' perfection, not your sin. But he died deliberately to save us from sin, but secondly, and this may be something even more people need to hear because there's, I know so many Christ followers in this group understand that secondly, he died to show us our true value. Oh, listen, the cross is a living plus sign that shines through the dark world and says, this is how much you're worth. <laughs> this is how much you are valued. Please understand that Jesus died deliberately and voluntarily for you, no matter what you've done, no matter what your experiences or feelings have been. Without him, you will never, ever know your true worth as a person. But with the cross, you can know that you are valued and significant beyond your imagination. When we realize what Jesus has deliberately done for us, we understand how treasured we are that he would rather die than live without us. And so listen, no matter what the world says about you, no matter what bully may taunt you, no matter what parent in the past may have unappreciated you, no matter where you have botched up your life or disappointed others, Jesus says this to the living plus sign of the cross, I love you. No matter what others say, no matter how you feel, no matter what you've done, I went to the cross to show you you are everything to me. And that is why when you become a Christ follower, you are made new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it. If anyone belongs to Christ, there is a new creation. The old things have gone. Everything has been made new. And that's why we need to remember consistently that Jesus died deliberately to forgive us for our sins, but to also show us our true value. And that's why we want to end the service today a little differently. There's a song that's going to be sung. And I know if you're like me, when I hear a song that praises Jesus and talks about him, I, I want to stand up. But I'm going to ask you to just remain seated during this song because I, I want, as you see the words on the screen and hear it sung, I, I want the words to just wash over you to help you understand. Yes, Jesus went to the cross to save you from your sin, but he also went there to show you your true value for you to be able to say in you I find my worth in you I find my identity
Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at northridge.online.